Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shaw. Kintec studio is on the road today as we're at Rogers Arena. Final game before the Canucks hit the bye week and all-star break. They've got the Columbus Blue Jackets in the Tank Bowl. Is that, is that what we call it? Tank Bowl. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a fitting moniker. At least um, two bottom six teams. This is one of those ones where uh, wouldn't be the worst thing to lose. <laughs> no, it'd be good. I mean, in terms like, hey, we all know the Canucks aren't making the playoffs. They're getting anywhere close to it. We all know it's about process, yeah. not results. Get the best pick possible. I get it. Hey, that's it. That's what uh, I know a lot of fans are looking out for on Twitter. We get a lot of questions for the mailbag because it is Mailbag Friday. Let's get to it here on Canuck Central. The mailbag, we bring in uh, producer Josh Elliott Wolf, who has compiled a list of questions from the masses. Hello. Josh, what do you have for us, Josh? Uh, first one from Jason. What would JT Miller have to do over the length of his contract for it not to be considered an unmitigated disaster of a signing for Alvin and Rutherford? <laughs> unmitigated disaster. Yes, because it's already an unmitigated disaster. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll answer this second because everybody seems to know I'm uh, pro JT. I'm pro JT. <laughs> I mean, as long as he's close to a point per game player, it wouldn't be an unmitigated disaster. You know, like if he's scoring close to 30 goals, 25 to 30 goals, he's getting 70 to 80, 90 points every year. If he does that pure production wise, then it's fine. It's not going to be an unmitigated disaster. The only way it's an unmitigated disaster is if his production dips to Louis Erickson levels and he is a massive net negative all the time. Then yeah, I mean, that's, that's a problem. Then, then then it's an unmitigated disaster. But for how many years can he produce at the level he's producing this year? Which, as we all agree, is him playing the worst hockey we've seen so far in Vancouver. Yet he's still on pace for what thirty goals and seventy points. Is it an unmitigated disaster if he can't play center, like as early as next year? I don't know if it's an unmitigated disaster, but it's a big problem. Yes, I, I think that is. Like, you can't get away from that. And I'm not ready to give up on him being able to play center. Like, we've talked about, you know, there are, there are things. I think if you watch JT really closely, rather than just pick at the Twitter highlight reels that <laughs> pop up far too often about him, you know, not getting it right on a back check or him just, you know, kind of at the end of a long shift and just trying to take up space, but it doesn't look good because he's not moving around too much. Um, yeah. Those things, you know, that's – at times it can be unfair to evaluate a player on that. Now, those is, situations have happened far too often for yeah. JT this year. And, and, so, and however, however you slice it, he's got to be better. Yes, that's where I'm getting at. He has to be better. But there are still, like – like, there's still a really good hockey player there. Like, we can't forget that. He's still on course to have a 70-ish point season, close to 30 goals. Scoring's up in the league, so maybe that doesn't mean as much as it used to. That's a fair argument you can make. Bottom line is, if he gets back to being more of the player he had been in his first year with the Canucks, last year with the Canucks, then you've still got a very valuable player. It's going to be hard. Like, you're not going to get a ton of surplus value from JT Miller. We talked about this when the contract was signed. But can he play at at least like a six and a half, seven million dollar player uh, through the first 
four years of the contract once it kicks in. I think that's the bare minimum you could ask for from him moving forward. Where it's not an unmitigated disaster, it's not as big of a problem. But The question was unmitigated disaster. That's what the question was. Yes. All right, next one. Lance, what is the direction this management team is trying to convey? I'm confused. <laughs> well, Lance, uh, we're going to talk to Patrick Alvin a little bit later on today, which you'll also be able to find on the podcast feed if you've just come to listen into the mailbag. Direction. People want to know rebuild, retool, and, and view that as the direction. Uh, I don't like sticking one word on it as – you know, the overall direction of the team. It's clear they're not going to go the Arizona Coyotes route or anything like that. But they are trying to build something here, right? Like, if you just think about it that way and look at it through that lens, like, they started in Abbotsford. Jim Rutherford said that was a big part of their plan is to rebuild how they did things at the AHL level. That starting and has looked like a positive, maybe the biggest positive that they've done so far in one year to this point. They're now trying to build this team back up and build it into a team with the coach that is their coach rather than the guy that the owner hired before they got here. So I think that's where the building part comes from, from this front office and direction wise. Alvin said it's not going to be a quick fix last week. It's not a quick fix. We could all see that. But how quick of a fix can it be? Is that two years? Is that three years? Is that less than that? Trying to compete as early as next year. I think that's more of where the question mark comes in of how they're going to be able to do that. Well, I mean, they've said what their plan is, is to create cap space and turn some of the roster over and create major and do major surgery. But all they've done is add to the roster and double down on players, right? Yeah. You know, now Kuzmenko is the latest player that they brought in. Now they give a contract to. They kept JT Miller, signed Besser, and they signed Mikheyev. Like, those are the moves that they've made so far. So what their plan has been is to add, but also subtract. And so far, all they've done is add. The question, the, the reason people keep asking it is when is when are the subtractions coming? And I think part of the plan is for them to subtract players like maybe a Besser, maybe Garland, find a way to get get out of OEL, whether that's a buyout or, or another way. And Tyler Myers is another one, right? So I think that's their plan is to get rid of players around their roster that aren't important players for them. That's been their plan. But the reason I think there's skepticism is that you haven't moved any of those players. It seems like it's getting harder and harder for you to move those players. So how is that plan going to be successful? But I think the plan is pretty evident in terms yeah. of what they're trying to do. Uh, there is a plan. A lot of people don't like the plan. That's part of it, too. And you gotta, you know what? you gotta, you, you got to show the second part of the plan. Yeah. The second part of the plan was we're, we're turning this over. We're, we're making changes. Well, you got to act on the plan. Not a single important player has been, or core player, or a major changes type of player you talk about, and they've been in charge now for a year, has, has left the roster. No major contract has been moved out. Yeah. Like the biggest contract they moved out was Dickinson, right? Yeah. And I mean... Sure, but you gave up a second to do it. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> uh, I don't think we're too far away from that. There's a little bit of smoke uh, around this team right now, and I think there will be fire pretty soon as well. Next. Basketball filled. Uh, for the Kraken, doesn't it make more sense to try to trade for Demko than it does for Horvat? The question for them is how much money can you keep investing in goaltending for Seattle? Yeah. 
They got the big contract for Grubauer, right? Yeah. You got the Grubauer deal, and I, and I know uh, Dreger is going through stuff. But, you know, he's, he's been on injured reserve. We're not sure when he's going to play, but that's still $3.5 million next season, and they're already on into LTIR. Martin Jones has played well for them. Now doesn't have a contract beyond the season, but has come in and done a good job. I just don't know how much more they want to invest in that position. It's sort of like Florida where it's, you know, they already have Bobrovsky. They had to sign Spencer Knight to a big bridge deal. Yeah. You know, yeah, they, they might have goaltending as a problem, but you've sort of got to find a way to deal with it given the money that's already committed there. Uh, they still need a, like, because they are headed to the playoffs and feel pretty good about how many support pieces they've brought in there, they're looking for more of a ready-made center. And I can see why they are looking at that. As much as Beneers and Shane Wright are the future, um, I think they still want more of a top-end guy to at least sort of lead the way for them. And I, maybe maybe they view Horvat as that guy. That's why I would think they look for the center more than the goaltender. T, which goalie do you send down when Demko returns? Both are wave, waiver eligible and based off the goalie situation around the league, a case can be made for both to be claimed. I don't know if either guy gets claimed, to be honest with you, because it's not like either guy's played so well that you know somebody's chomping at the bit to grab these guys. I would actually send Spencer Martin down because I think it's more unlikely somebody picks him up because he has another year on his deal at a one-way contract, 750k. So if you actually have a desire to have Delia here beyond this season and you think that he can do more, he's the guy you hold on to. And I actually think traits-wise and and just overall, you know, from my untrained goalie eye, I like Delia's potential better. That's the guy I would choose between. I uh, I appreciate everything Spencer Martin had done. Uh, last year was a lot of fun when he showed up and, you know, Halak and Demko were both down and here's this guy making a thousand saves against the Florida Panthers and all these things. But, you know, if we're going on who's playing better right now, it's not Spencer Martin. So if, if you're going to try and build a culture of meritocracy and if you play well, you earn that spot. I think it's pretty obvious with uh, what the choice would be right now, given who's in form. I will say, though, like, when we talk about in form, one guy's an 895 save percentage, the other one has 875. So <laughs> it's very relative here. That's fair. Uh, Sue, what is your best guess on where Bo Horvat gets traded? Best guess on where Bo Horvat gets traded. Another question we can ask Patrick Alvin later. Oh, I'm sure he'll tell you exactly where he's going. <laughs> Best guess on where Horvat gets traded. I don't think it's going to be a Detroit. I think it's going to be one of the bigger contenders. And I've eliminated New Jersey off my list because, again, it just doesn't make sense to me with Heischer and Jack Hughes on their list. I've, I've thought about that a lot. But... Colorado just, I can't get away from the Colorado Avalanche. You know, defending Stanley Cup champions, need a center, need a second-line center. To me, that one uh, that one makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'll stay in the division. I'll just say Nashville Predators. Ooh. All right, next one. Phil and Burnaby, do you see a time in the future where the rink is half full for most games? Like most people refusing to attend and give up their cash to watch the Canucks. 
I don't think it's going to be half full, no. Could it be like 16,000, 15,000, depending on where this team trends and what happens, I guess. Like if next year's a disaster and you know these, these guys don't get the team on, on the right track and PD wants out and everything, if all those things happen and it gets worse and worse, I could see it maybe being 16,000 or something, but it's not going to be half full. Half but I, and I, and I don't, honestly, I, I don't think it's going to be I – don't, I don't foresee a significant dip in attendance next season. But beyond that, if you keep spinning your wheels and you keep finishing bottom five, then, you know. It, for a Canadian market to get around, like, 10,000, I mean, it would just be unprecedented. So I, I, I don't see that happening unless you're the Ottawa Senators, of course. But there, there is going to come a point where if things don't turn around, you know, fan revolt has been pretty strong this year. Fans have made their voices pretty loud in the rink as much as anywhere else with the different sorts of chants that have gone on, the jerseys being thrown on the ice. That is going to continue, and I wonder how much louder that can get if things don't turn around here and at least show a more positive way forward than what we've seen so far. RL, given how much the team had regressed under Boudreaux and after Tockett's assessment following the Kraken game, is it time to rethink Travis Green's coaching ability, and might we see him coaching in the NHL again soon? I don't know about soon. I could see him be back, being back in the league. I mean, I, I see him being an assistant maybe, and then getting a, a head coaching job, you know, down the road from here. Just sort of how Tockett had to do it. Yeah, and it was just it was tough for Travis because of the success Boudreaux had. Because everybody just pointed out and said, well, Travis was the problem now. It's, you know, a bit more clear. So I understand what the texture is getting at. I do think Travis is going to get another chance. I just don't know if it's going to be anytime soon. It may still take another year or two before he gets that chance. But, you know, if you're looking at it and if you're looking at the track record, you can look at the best success this team had. As much as it was Boudreaux, those 57 games, it was actually with this group before they lost Markstrom and Tanev and Toffoli was their run they made in the bubble season, in the postseason. And the best hockey team played was against the Blues down most of that season. So if you're looking for the argument, yeah, maybe it does look a little bit better after the Boudreaux dismissal. I've always liked Travis Green as a coach. I think um, towards the end of his tenure, things got a little stale. Um, and But also the overall situation. If you look at the entire mess this organization was, yeah. and you know with management, with Benning still coming back, and this was after the bubble year. Or this was after the North Division year when they didn't show ambition, and then they felt like they had to do something to, to win the players over again. Like It was an, just an absolute mess. It was. It, hey, Travis didn't help himself, no doubt. We criticize a lot of his coaching. But if you want to look at a situation that didn't bode well for him, it was the entire environment. He did not have success at the Spangler Cup uh, as uh, as coaching Canada there. Um, but Travis is going to get another chance. I, I do believe that. He was, for a time, you know, the next big coach, the next great coach coming into the league when he was hired by the Canucks. People don't forget that. And I look around the league, guys like Dallas Akins has gotten, you know, multiple chances. Um... Travis Green will get another chance because he did display a lot of things that were really promising, especially in his early years with the Vancouver Canucks and a less than promising roster that he took over as well. 
Uh, this one from Johnny Mac. Rick Tockett is a Chevy truck driver getting behind the wheel of a Maserati with serious engine problems. Do you see him as a long-term future or a transitional coach for the Canucks? I, I don't know if he is the um, you know the Chevy truck driver coach because of how he coached with the Arizona Coyotes, and a lot of it had to do with the players he had it at his at his disposal. I don't think it's going to be, hey, trap it up hockey and don't be aggressive on the forecheck. So I don't necessarily know if that's a, a proper assessment on, on it, but I do believe they think he's going to be the long-term coach for a team that can play aggressively offensively but be responsible defensively. Who are teams that do that? Look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. Look at the Colorado Avalanche when they're probably at their best. You need the talent to play that way more than anything else. That's what it comes down to. But I don't think they're going to... You know, I, I don't think it's going to be this boring style of hockey that's going to zap the offense out of all their best players. I also like, I don't know why people think that he's uh, a short-term coach in, the, in a way that Boudreaux was. Um, I think Talkin is very much this management group's guy. And they view him as the guy that's going to help them build this up to being a contending hockey team. So... As long as things are going well here for management and coach, and it does start to move in a better direction, Tockett's going to be here for uh, for a while. Uh, Zach, does the media know what renovations or improvements the Canucks made to their facilities at Rogers Arena this past offseason? They made a, made a big deal about it and put their own team behind the eight ball on a brutal road trip to start the season, and I never saw any kind of announcement. Well, so the announcements, yeah, we haven't seen a ton of stuff. And I know they worked on the locker room. They worked on some of the uh, extra facilities um, and some of the rooms, uh, you know, in the bowels. We haven't really seen a lot of it be presented, so to speak. But those are the changes that have been made. It's kind of been behind the scenes and mostly for the players and their facilities that they use. So those have been the most notable changes. The, there, there are more things supposed to be coming on a more major scale. They just haven't happened yet. Seat changes. Change the color of the seats. I don't that, know. Uh, that could be on the cards. But, yeah, it's uh, the, the locker room has been the most noticeable one, uh, having been down there a bunch of times post-game. Uh, that's the one that's, you know, at least visibly, from what I've been able to see, has gotten the biggest upheaval and uh, looks pretty good down there. And, well, and media access in, in these areas are even more limited than yeah. they were before, so it's harder to even get a sense of some of the changes that have been made. And, yeah, the team hasn't, to the tech, to the uh, question's point, to Zach's point, the team hasn't come out or the organization hasn't come out and and shown what some of these changes are. And, yeah, I mean, it did put them behind the eight ball to start the season this year. Brandon, if Mitch Cobb falls due to his contract status, should the Canucks take him? And I'm assuming that that's if the Canucks are picking between 6 and 10. So where is Mitch Cobb, like... Where does it start to become that he's falling? Is it after Fantilli and Carlson? I'd say him falling will be outside the top ten. We're still talking about top ten, yeah. right? Like, so I think if he goes and even even if he goes seven, eight, or nine, we can say that he slipped a bit. But I don't think that's a free fall. A free fall is falling out of the top ten. But I do think, depending on and listen, I'm going to be honest. I haven't done enough. I'm I'm really digging into the draft stuff and. I have a decent sense so far, but I have a lot more that I'm going to be doing. So it's hard for me to sit here and say, oh, I'd for sure take him over anybody else at, say, 7 or 8. But my initial answer would be yes. Let's say the Canucks are picking at 8 and Mitch Cobb's there. 
it might be foolish not to take him. That's kind of the sense I have right now. And I'll amend my opinion if that changes because of more information and all that. But to answer the question as best as I can to the way Josh framed it, if you're looking at that range, 8, 9 or whatever, or 7, and he's there, it might be really hard to say no to that, even if he is a couple years away from coming over. The contract thing is sort of the big deterrent because... As far as you know, people I've talked to so far, and I haven't done any deep dives into the draft. It's not really been my scene necessarily, but Sat, you're always in on it. Um, this was supposed to be the Bedard Vichkov draft. Yeah. And we're now that he's been on loan uh, to Sochi, you can see you know he's scoring a lot more. He's having a lot more success. You're starting to see that talent flash again. We didn't get to see him in a World Juniors. We haven't seen him in international because of the situation with Russia. So there are some factors there that are pushing him down. But talent-wise, you know, he was always uh, that guy that was sort of next to Bedard. And that really would intrigue me should it fall outside the top five. Jabo, the term generational player gets thrown out a lot these days. My list over the last 50 years is Bobby Orr, Wayne Gretzky, Mario Lemieux, Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, and Connor McDavid. Who would be on your list? I'd add Patrice Bergeron. I'd add the, the guys who are two-way aces to me are, you know, in that in that breath. It's Nick Patrice Bergeron. Yeah. Honestly, like, uh, we've sort of had this. Like, you could start to almost, like, put Patrice Bergeron not just on the list of, like, best players of this generation. I mean, he should legitimately be on a short list of greatest players of all time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Given the longevity and the success he has had through his career. Um, I'd even go back. I mean, people that, you know, we didn't watch Mike Bossy as closely, but if it wasn't for injuries, what, my, what Mike Bossy was doing. I'd say Pavel Bury with his speed and explosiveness. Is so, that is that generational though? Like to me, it's like one player in a generation. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, to me, yeah, generation. But it comes down to how you define it. Like everything else is definition, right? Are we saying just individual player or types of players that come along once in a generation? I think like it's uh, the so one term uh, that I've read definitionally, uh, definition-wise, uh, generational is a term often used to describe a player unique to the position, unlike anything seen in the last few decades. So Bobby Orr would definitely fall into that. Wayne Gretzky would fall into that. Crosby and Ovechkin. I mean, Ovechkin's the greatest goal scorer of all time, so I think that's that's fair. Now, the, the one player I would say that's, that's maybe being left out, Eric Lindros. Yeah. Lindros was a unicorn when he yeah. showed up, man. Like, the speed, power, size, every... Like if you were to build a hockey player in a lab, you would want to build Eric Lindros. It's just... Obviously, the injuries uh, sort of took him off of that train. But before the concussions really stalled his career, he had the best points per game average uh, in the NHL, mm -hmm. in the history of the game, I think. So that's, you know, we often forget just how great Eric Lindros was and how special, how unique a talent he was. He's the only player I'd add to that list. Uh, last one, Silver and Black Canuck. What is something people commonly do in public that you you find completely appalling or socially unacceptable? Uh, their example is spitting. Spitting. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Um, yeah, you shouldn't be... Uh, 
Like, especially the big hork, you know. Yes. <laughs> if you do one of those. Oh, like, oh, yeah. Uh, coughing or sneezing without covering your mouth. And it's not a pandemic thing. It's a general thing. Like, it's it's gross. Like, yeah. if you haven't figured out to cover your mouth when you're sneezing and coughing, like, especially what now. are you doing in life? Especially now. Yeah, but even before that, like, if it's still, like, you know, cover your face yeah. when you're sneezing or coughing. Cover your face. Dab. I don't care how you do it. Dabbing is, is the best way, as, <laughs> as we uh, learn eventually. Uh, but, you know, get that cough deep into the, you know, the crevice of your elbow and, uh, and arm and have at it. But don't, don't do it in my face while I'm walking through on the sidewalk. <laughs> please, please don't do that. Snot rockets are gross, too. Yeah, like, that's yeah gross. Please no snot rockets. This is, this is a public. good one. Uh, unsigned text. Having a conversation on your cell phone using speakerphone in public. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, my goodness. Every time I'm walking through, even like... If you're in an apartment building in the hallways, don't do that. Get off the speakerphone. You know people that have those uh, loud speakers listening to music? And I don't mind if you have it, but like if you're somewhere really busy and you're blasting the music in a speaker, that's annoying. Like if I'm trying to walk down a street and I can't even have a conversation with the person next to me because, you know, you're playing EDM or something. Like, yeah. <laughs> don't. Uh, we don't all love the same music there, bud. I'm kind of like... I don't really love that on the golf course, to be honest with you. Like, if I'm golfing, I don't, I don't need you with your, like, cart speaker, like, going through and, like, blasting music. Yeah, you can have it at regular volume where, like, you yeah. can hear it when you're in the cart or just outside the cart. But don't have it so that people, people a whole away hear it as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, quickly, somebody texted, people texted in Bobby Hall Lick, and Nick Lidstrom as players that are generational. Lidstrom, you can throw in that discussion. I was thinking of forwards mostly based on yeah. how the question was framed, but yeah. Uh, Kel is kind of a unique talent. If you want to, we didn't think of that way that uh, before the draft necessarily, but um, clearly the way he's played so far in his career might suggest that. Uh, some people saying Mario, we did, we did. Mario was on the original list that the texter sent in. That's why uh, we didn't discuss Mario too much. But, you know, there is a segment of the population that do think Mario was the uh, – is the best player of all time and probably gets close to some of Gretzky's numbers if uh, he doesn't have, you know, the uh, the battle with leukemia and, and things of that nature through, through the mid middle part of his career. That, that is it? it for that's it for questions. Oh yes, it's really late. It's wow. like at five o'clock. Yeah, please Cheech, break, Cheech guys. Is, Cheech is going to be mad at us. Okay. Uh, all right. Coming up, John Garrett. That's next on Canuck Central.